We're in a series called Reach. This is week two of our series on sharing the gospel, on talking to people about the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at how we ask questions, the process of asking questions. Last week, Joe introduced the series by talking about Jesus' call to go fishing. This week, we're going to look at asking. Next week, we're going to talk about answering and so on. And we're going to be in John chapter one. So if you've got your Bible, do grab it. We're going to be in John one and reading that together in a moment. One of the most striking things you will notice about Jesus, if you just read the the Gospels, the descriptions of Jesus's earthly life, you will notice quickly that he's continually asking people questions. Does it all the time. Sometimes where you think you already know the answer and yet you're still asking this question. I did a study a few years ago. I I was a bit of a nerd about it and I decided to count all the questions that I could find in the Gospels. And I counted 283 different questions that Jesus asked. And they're all really good ones. Some of them are are really quite deep and searching, probing questions. They're ones that kind of get to the core of a person and really challenge them. Some of them are really innocent, ordinary questions. Some of them are just trying to get to know you questions. Others of them are designed to expose something deep that's going on in someone's heart or expose a motive that's conflicted or expose the hypocrisy of a person. So Jesus is a a master asker of questions. And in the passage we're about to read, Jesus asks an absolutely brilliant question that I think has lost none of its power in 2000 years of translation and cultural change. It's a very powerful question, which we're gonna look at in a moment. And then having asked that question, he then asks people back to his his house. And then having done that, he then asks another question towards the end of this passage, which again is just a super question at challenging somebody to go beyond where they were. That's clearly a, a habit of his. All four gospels show Jesus continually asking questions of people and expressing genuine interest in them rather than, he's not, they're not gotcha questions. Uh, they're designed to try and draw people out, expose their hearts, and rather than just assuming that he knows what's best and slapping them with it, which he could, he's the son of God, but he doesn't. He, he draws them out. He wants to get to know them, learn what they're like, and then help expose really where the truth is and what they might need to do next about it. And I think we can learn a lot from that, especially in a post-Christian, pluralistic, very diverse culture like the one we live in in this city, where people believe a whole range of different things and you can't assume very much about what they know or don't know or like or don't like about Christianity or about anything, really. Like in many cultures, you could have a, you meet someone for the first time, you've got a pretty safe bet that you know the village they're from, you might even know their family, you know their trade, you might know a lot about them and what they believe. But in our city, you're continually meeting people very, very different. And the asking of good questions is really important in opening up space for a spiritual conversation. And sometimes that might mean asking really deep and searching questions. Some of the ones I've found useful in the past, really quite deep questions. What do you think the most important thing in life is? Which is a question really about who you think God is. Or what's wrong with the world? Which is a question about sin. Or what's the solution? Which is a question really about the gospel. Now, what do you, what's your view of what's the, you know, who's at the center of the world? Who's God? What's, what's, what's the doctrine of sin for you? And what's the good news that's going to save you? But sometimes questions don't need to be deep at all. Sometimes they can be really simple, like the, the most basic forms of questions that can still open up space for conversations. What's your name is the most obvious question we ever ask anyone. How has your week been? Is your family well? Did you grow up around here? How did the interview go? Last week I got into... <laughs> 
I wouldn't call it a gospel conversation, but it's like a mini gospel conversation with a woman. I was sitting next to her at my son's swimming lesson, and we're sitting, this is just last Wednesday, we're sitting next to each other, and um, it's just based on asking the names of her children. But it opened up, it was just, I'm a, if you know me, I'm a nerd about names. I'm off always saying, oh, what, what does this name mean? And biblical references and all that sort of stuff. I love that kind of thing. And so I'm sitting next to this woman and she says, oh, well, you know, so my son James is over there, he's swimming. And then we we're gonna call our, not our daughter Anastasia. And I said, oh, we thought about asking, calling our daughter Anastasia. In the end, we went for Anna. But do you know what Anastasia means? And she says, oh, no, I don't. I said, it means resurrection. It's like sort of Christian vision. So I start, I'm off. And then she's going, really? That one? I think she was genuinely interested. She wasn't just humoring me. She's like, I never knew that. Wow, that's amazing. Well, James, and we started talking about what her son's name meant. So it's based on this character in the Old Testament called Jacob who grabs the heel and tries to get God's blessing. My kids mean God's strength and God. And off we go. And we're having this. I didn't quote the meaning of my wife's name because my wife's name, Rachel, just means sheep. I thought that wasn't so interesting. But we talked about all the other names in the family. And it was just this kind of random little thing of just expressing an interest in someone's children's names that opened up this space to have this really interesting conversation with a woman I'd never met. Questions are a, they're an invitation to a bit of connection, aren't they? Not everyone takes you up on it. Lots of people don't. They don't want to talk about it. Or they say, <laughs> they say the name of their child and it's not something you know anything about or whatever it is, and that's fine. But in a city and in a generation where people often talk about the problem of loneliness or people feeling like they need connection or people wanting genuine community, often people talk like that, questions create a space for a bit more openness, a bit more friendship and the possibility for spiritual conversations. I'm going to read John chapter 1 beginning at verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. It's about four in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of God.
Amen. Did you notice Jesus' brilliant question? It's one of the most profound questions you can ever ask someone. Two disciples, Andrew and probably John, we don't know, but that's our guess, have heard about Jesus from John the Baptist and they're following him and they're curious about Jesus. And Jesus turns around and says in verse 38, then Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? The question of what people are seeking or looking for is a massive theme in John's gospel. It comes up dozens of times. If you read the whole of John, you'll find over and over again this word, seeking or looking for, comes up often from Jesus, including straight after the resurrection, actually, where he appears to Mary and he just says to her, woman, what are you or whom are you seeking? He's continually asking people this kind of question or talking to people about what they are seeking, and what the Father is seeking and what he is seeking. What, what are you looking for? What do you want in life? And when you read this story the first time, you might not notice it. You might have been reading through that as I read it just now, thinking, oh, okay, well, he's just, he's making conversation. He's just saying, hey, what are you after? What do you want? What's up? But then you read the whole of John's gospel and you come back to this story, you think, hang on, this is a really important idea. This sense of everybody being on a search or a quest or looking for something or trying to find something, that's a really important theme in this gospel. And then you realize that some, what often happens in scripture is when a character gets introduced, the first thing they say is very important in defining who they are. So the first thing God says in the Bible is, let there be light, because he's the God who's always causing the sun to rise, causing light to come in the darkness. The first thing the devil says in the Bible is, did God really say? The first thing King David says in the Bible is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should divide the armies of the living God? And so on. So the first line you get tells you quite a lot about a person. Well. Jesus' first line in the Gospel of John is, what are you seeking? What do you, what do you want? Deep down, what are you looking for? Jesus is going to spend a lot of his ministry putting that question to people. Everyone is seeking or questing or searching for something, something that they want that they haven't quite found, but they know what it is and they're pursuing. What's that for you? And have you found it? In modern terms, it's a... Uh, I heard one leader say, it really helped me. He said, I just have two questions with which I've often been able to start spiritual conversations. What are you living for? And how's that working out for you? And some of us would think, wow, that's really intense. I couldn't, I'm not that kind of person. That's fine. This is not to say they should be yours, but they were his. And in some ways, that's Jesus's question. What are you looking for? What are you after? And the power of that question lies in two things, I think. The first thing is that everyone is seeking something. This side of new creation, we always will be. Like until Jesus returns and the dead are raised and the world is healed of sin and death, people are always going to be going, I want something that I don't yet have. You do. I do. There's something about being a human in this fallen world that is longing for something beyond. So none of us is ever, in that sense, perfectly contented or satisfied or fulfilled in every way. We still haven't found what we're looking for. This is actually, if you don't, rather don't want you too, you just want Augustine. I mean, Augustine, look, you made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And that's the state of the human person in this life. There is a, a restlessness and a lack of contentment that ultimately is only fulfilled in Christ. But even as long as we're in this world, there is a sense of it for those of us who do follow Jesus and a profound sense of it for all of us who don't. And so that's an important 
important reason why this is such a powerful question. What are you seeking? Because no one ever says, nothing. I don't want anything. That's just not how human beings are made. The second reason it's powerful is because the things we are seeking reflect deep foundational desires we have that are ultimately only fulfilled in God. So here's a few examples. I just want to show you this, this image, this graphic from which uh, um, some friends of mine made. It's really helpful as just a way of identifying some of the things that people in our city are seeking. This is actually based on uh, New York, but I think it holds for London as well. Um, things that people are seeking. So, for instance, you're starting at the top. People are seeking identity. They want, but they don't just want in the abstract. They want an identity that doesn't crush you or exclude others. They want love. They want a way to flourishing community and romantic relationships that are not exploitative or commodified. They might say, what I really want is reconciliation. I want a basis for forgiveness that honours justice and mercy. They want wholeness, a goodness of the physical world and an ability to love your body and the created order. They might want justification, a solution to shame and guilt that doesn't dismiss it, but doesn't treat it as indelible or something you can't get rid of. They want justice. They want justice and the use of power that doesn't create new oppressors just by replacing the old ones with new ones. They want hope practically, in the face of evil and death. They want beauty, an enhancement of the fleeting senses of beauty, spirituality, or fullness. They want explanation. A lot of people will say, yeah, I want this. I'm on a search for explanation, for meaning. I want to make sense of myself, human nature, history, the world. People, of course, almost everybody will say to some degree, I want happiness, satisfaction, and contentment that are not based on changing circumstances. They may say they want freedom, a freedom that doesn't erode love and community. And they may say they want meaning, a meaning in life that can face any suffering. And of course, all 12 of those things, and there are others, but they're the kinds of things. Then The individual person might not answer any of those things. They might say something quite different. But those 12 things reflect the kind of cravings of the human heart that you see played out in all kinds of ways in the modern world. And the school playground, through to the media, through to people at work, you, you see this dynamic. You think, yeah, that's, that's a, an underlying motive of this person, or maybe an underlying motive of mine, probably is. But actually those things ultimately are found and fulfilled in Christ. And so the power of the question, what are you seeking, is not only that everyone has got an answer to that question, but that the answer to that question is itself going to be ultimately met in Christ. Because it is only in Christ that you find an identity that doesn't just validate you, but it also doesn't oppress anybody else. It's only in Christ that you find the hope or the justice or the meaning you need to make sense of who you are in this world and what you've been created for. Because it's at that point that you line up with God's good purposes for his world and make sense of what yours is in that context. And Christians are here in the world, among other things, to help people find their way back to God. That's why we're on the, in, the, in the world. We're just going to people, everybody out here, deep down, they want to find their way back to God. They, that might not be how, probably isn't how they frame it, but there is a desire back to, go, to be back with God, like we were in the garden, back in the home of the Father from whom we have run and gone off to a far off country. But want to come. And that, that sense, whether people articulate it or not, there is a, a deep longing for homecoming in that sense in the human heart. And when people find him and find God, they find that all these things on the wheel, all of those things get added to them as well. So asking people, what are you looking for? is just a great question and a great opener for the way Jesus begins his, his ministry of reaching people. 
So we can learn a lot from Jesus's habit of asking questions and we can learn from the specific question he asks at the start of John's gospel. What are you seeking? But we can also learn from what happens next. Don't worry, this one doesn't involve wheels and abstractions and reconciliation, hope and human rights and meaning and... This just invites asking someone round to your house for dinner or to come and stay, which is what in their culture they would do very naturally. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. This is a very different sort of asking. This isn't asking people about deep motivations. It isn't even asking just people like, what are you up to? What are you looking for? Where are you hanging out today? This is asking people around to your house. It's inviting people around. From the calling of the first disciples in John 1 to the last verse of the book of Acts, Acts 20 verse 31, the mission of the Christian church is powered by people sharing the gospel by having them round. You just... If, you, if all you had was a New Testament and you said, in what context are people usually hearing the gospel? Where, do they, where are they when they hear the good news of the kingdom? A lot of the time you would think, well, it's probably not in a church building, actually. And a lot of the time it's in a home. It's over a meal. It's, and we're going to look at this in a, in a few weeks' time. Hospitality is central to reaching people. And we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. But notice how in this passage, Jesus is asking them back, starts a kind of domino effect when it comes to asking, to asking people around and then inviting them to meet Jesus. So Jesus invites Andrew and presumably John and says, come and see, and they go. Then Andrew invites Peter, verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Verses 41 to 42. Now that's a special verse for me because that's why I'm named Andrew. So my mum and dad were new, recent Christians. My parents both got converted in the few days before they got married. Separately from each other, um, they came to faith and then they built a marriage on this kind of new thing. They're just like, wow, okay, we're Christians now. What does that mean? And they married for a few years and then I come along and they named me Andrew because they read this verse and they thought, I would love to have a son who brings people to Jesus and says, hey, you want to come and meet? We found the Messiah. Just so it's kind of a prophetic name for me. So it means a lot to me as a verse. And Andrew, so Jesus in, invites Andrew and, uh, Andrew and John, we assume. Then Andrew invites Peter. Then Jesus calls Philip, verse 43. And then Philip invites Nathaniel using the exact same phrase Jesus did. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law in the law and the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. So that same, almost identical phrase, then Jesus said, well, come around and see. Now this happens all the time at Kings. People are continually doing this. They're asking people to come with them to church, to Alpha, to their home, and inviting them around and saying, just come and see. A invites B to their home or church or Alpha. B invite, meets Jesus and then invites C. And C might say, seriously? Can anything good come out of Christianity? And the answer comes back, come and see. Yeah, you, 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 I'm sure you, wanna, you might want to try before you buy. You might want to come and just look and experience a time of worship with the people of God. You might want to see if these people are for real. You might want to see, do their lives mirror the things they're saying? You might even just want to hear the songs they sing or the kinds of things that are in their sacred book, whatever it is, but come and see. And some of you are here for exactly that reason. You've come just to come and have a look. 
And that's always been at the heart of how Christians have invited people, people, Christians of those who've asked others to say, hey, just come and have a look, come and see. You may or may not believe it at first look. You may not be sure what you think. Come and see. So Jesus starts by asking a great question. What are you seeking? And then he asks them around to his house and says, come and see. And then, which sets off this sort of chain reaction from Jesus to Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel. But his final question in this passage is quite different. And in many ways, it's not really a, a reaching question. It's not really a, an evangelistic question at all. Because when he asks it, Nathaniel, who's this guy we've only just met, but he has already said he believes Jesus is the son of God. So it's not so much an evangelistic question as it is a discipleship question. Let's read it. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus tells Nathanael that, when he, that he saw him when he was under the fig tree. In other words, Nathanael goes, I know this man wasn't here because I'm under a tree and I'm just chatting. My friend Philip comes up. And that, that's all that happened, that Jesus is nowhere. But Jesus still saw it in some way. Therefore, he must be the Messiah. He must be the King of Israel. And Jesus' response is fascinating. He doesn't say, well done, welcome to the kingdom of God, great. He asks him, do you believe because of that? There is a whole lot more where that came from. And that's a surprise to me. You'd think Jesus is going, wow, my first recruit, my first convert, look, here he is, or maybe my second or my third being generous, but he doesn't do that. He says to him, really, you believe because of that? Oh, no, no, there's a load more that you're going to see. There's a lot more revelation, a lot more encounter, a lot more transformation that you are yet going to experience if you follow me. It's not just about this moment of recognition. There's more to come. See, some people's problem is not skepticism or unbelief. A lot of people it is. In our cities, lots of people are skeptical, and that's why they don't believe in Jesus yet. But there are other people, some people come to faith too slowly, but there are other people who come to faith almost so too quickly. They don't even think it through. They're like, do you know what? Yeah, I've just seen a miracle. Great, I'm in. And they haven't really thought through what it might mean for them. So Jesus pushes back a bit on Nathaniel. He says, because of that, do you believe this one miracle and that's done? Okay, hang on. You will see greater things than this. This is just the start of a whole new life. There's a whole journey of revelation and transformation ahead of you. So don't treat the start line like the finish line. Don't act like, okay, we're here, we're done. Okay, that's it, great, Jesus is. And then as if nothing else is there to change. This is the beginning of your new life. That's what they say in the Narnia stories, further up and further in. This is an invitation to start a new kind of life. Brothers and sisters, one of the best ways of reaching people with the gospel is simply asking, asking questions, showing an interest. What's your name? How's your family? What are you looking for? What's the most important thing in life? Do you believe? And Jesus is asking questions like that of you today, whether you're a Christian or whether you wouldn't say you were actually. What are you looking for? Why don't you come and see? Do you believe? 
Well, you're going to see greater things than that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus' mission to come and seek and save that which was lost. People like me and my mum and dad, when they got saved, and people like hundreds and hundreds of people listening to me, thousands listening to me now, and many, many others in, across time and history and the world. We thank you that you came to come and find us. You were seeking us, but Lord, we, we look to seek you, and we ask that you would help us to be a, a community of people who continue searching for Jesus and actually who continue helping other people in their search for Jesus. You'd give us wisdom, you'd give us courage, you'd give us insight, you'd give us kindness and grace and a genuine interest in others. And you'd make us a group of people who can say to people, what are you seeking? Come and see, do you believe? Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.